Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Uh, we will get there here in just a bit. Uh, before we get to that, uh, I did want to just give a quick update on COVID-19 and how we plan to respond to it as a church. Uh, This is becoming a pretty regular thing that we have to do these days, so hopefully you'll bear with me. Uh, As some of you probably heard already, this past Tuesday, the CDC uh, updated some of their guidance and and recommendations for COVID-19. Most significantly, they are now recommending that even vaccinated people wear masks in public indoor settings. From what I've read, uh, this guidance is in order to, quote, maximize protection against the new Delta variant strain of COVID. Uh, It's also to guard against possibly transmitting it to others. So the CDC is just doing their best to respond to data that is coming in and developing and changing in real time uh, and then offer guidance based on that data. So here's what we know so far just as the general public. Uh, At this point there is overwhelming evidence that being vaccinated protects you really well against being infected with COVID-19. While there have been cases of fully vaccinated people getting sick. Those cases have been very rare still, statistically speaking. Uh, The symptoms have been overwhelmingly mild for vaccinated people that have breakthrough cases. They hardly ever lead to hospitalization or death. Uh, That could always change, of course, Uh, but as of now, that is what the data shows, at least, which means essentially Right now, what we know is that mask wearing prevents vaccinated people getting mild sort of cold-like symptoms and protects mainly unvaccinated people from severe illness and hospitalization. That said, there is a much more effective option out there for unvaccinated people if they want protection against being infected, and that's getting vaccinated. So there are, of course, some people who cannot be vaccinated for medical reasons, mainly children at this point under 12. But for anyone and everyone else, if you want to get vaccinated, you can literally like walk into a Target today and you can get vaccinated immediately. You can set up an appointment and get the first dose right away and then the second dose a little bit later. Uh, One thing that has been particularly encouraging for me uh, and for our staff in general is that from what I know and from what I can tell from those of you that I know and have regular conversations with, A majority of the people in our church specifically have been vaccinated already. That isn't the case for our area in general, like the state of Tennessee and particularly Knox County. Um, And for whatever reason, that tends not to be the case for Christians and evangelicals in general. That's a whole teaching for a different day that I won't get into this morning. Uh, But in general, I would say it seems like a majority of people in our church have been vaccinated at this point. And I'll just say again, I've mentioned this before, but I just want to point it out again. 
In fact, in general, you guys have been a great model throughout the past 16 months or so of just being incredibly agreeable and incredibly sacrificial in how you have responded to all of this, whereas many people in our country, for whatever reason, have wanted to turn COVID-19 into a political showdown of sorts, you all have mostly just quietly loved and served your neighbors and each other by saying, oh, I need to wear a mask? Cool, I'll wear a mask. I need to get vaccinated. I'll get vaccinated. No worries. You just have not made a big deal about it one way or another. I think that is an example of Christ-likeness in you. I want to point it out because whether you know this or not, uh, Christians do not have that reputation in general for being that way. And so thank you guys for bucking the trend in that way. So you guys have done great with that. And it is in part because of that posture in our church family that here's where we're at in regards to how we are going to respond as a church to these new CDC uh, guidelines and guidance. So we had planned this week, actually, this Sunday, today, was going to be the day that we like returned all the seats to normal, started serving delicious coffee in the lobby, uh, started having communion again. If, if you didn't know, you know, a lot of you probably don't know, if you've come around in the past year to year and a half, we like to take communion every week and just haven't because that didn't seem like a good idea for everybody to like breathe on the same things that we're about to ingest into our body. So we were planning on bringing back all of that this week. This was going to be like, church is mostly back to normal, you guys. Uh, and then that guidance came out on Tuesday, and we were like, okay, we probably need to at least hold off on that stuff for now. So for now, we're not going to do that stuff. In terms of masks, we are going to echo the CDC in recommending that you wear a mask, vaccinated or not, but we aren't going to make it mandatory. We're not going to make it mandatory. We're not going to stand at the door and insist that every person who walks in put on their mask in order to attend. Our pastors and staff will wear masks, except for when they're on stage. That would be like, a, I, I've chosen not to preach with a mask because that'd be like a Darth Vader type situation. I just don't think we should do that. Um, our City Kids volunteers will continue wearing masks because the kids that they are around cannot get vaccinated yet. Uh, if you are not vaccinated, I will just remind you that you should already be wearing a mask to the gathering, like right now, you should be wearing one. But we are not going to mandate that every single person wears them in order to attend. We're going to leave that up to you. It's going to be your decision. Now, that said, if the data changes significantly about breakthrough cases and them being more and more severe or something like that, or if we have an instance of community spread that we can tie back to our gathering and say, oh yeah, it happened here, it was actually COVID got spread at our gatherings, we may very well have to change what we do. So I, I reserve the right to change our minds if something like that happens, but for right now, we are not going to mandate masks. Does that all make sense to everybody? Okay, I will just end here, and I don't know why, but this may be the most controversial thing that I say today. In our current political climate, I'll just end here. If you have not yet been vaccinated, I would just ask you to please consider getting vaccinated. Most people in our country right now, Republican, Democrat, I don't care about politics, literally most people in our country right now would love nothing more than to put this whole COVID thing behind us. And so far, all the data points to vaccination and herd immunity being the best way to make that happen. All of the data. It's not a perfect solution, but then again, nothing is a perfect solution for anything. So that's my ask. If you have not been vaccinated, I would just ask you 
to consider doing that. If you choose not to, that is your prerogative, that is your choice, but I would just ask you to consider it. And if you think that I'm just saying that because Bill Gates told me to and he's trying to take over the world, he did give me $100 billion, but I don't think it's connected. <laughs> I think that was just out of the goodness of his heart that he did that. So that's all that. Uh, if you have questions about how or why we made that decision as a staff, we realize that no, per no decision is perfect and no decision will make everybody happy. But if you have questions on why we made that decision or how we came to that decision, feel free to reach out to us. All of our emails are on the website. Uh, we would love to explain how we arrived there. But all of that said, I would love to stop talking about COVID-19 and talk about the Gospel of Matthew. Is that cool with you guys? Okay, so Matthew chapter 13. If you are coming around for the first time this morning, like I said earlier, welcome. We have been studying through the book of Matthew as a church together, really for about the past year in total, uh, kind of on and off, but then we've been studying it really for the past three or four months straight in chapters 8 through 13. And today we're going to kind of come to the close of chapter 13, come to a close of this section of Matthew. But this chapter that we're in right now, Matthew 13, Jesus has spent almost all of his time telling parables about the kingdom of God. There's sort of these little short stories Jesus tells from time to time that were meant to illustrate aspects of what the kingdom of God is like, what life with God is truly like. But something that I think Jake mentioned last week to you guys, and we've touched on a few times, is that these parables, these short stories, they also serve to sort of separate out those who understood and lived into that way of life with God from those who didn't understand and those who didn't live into that way of life with God. And today, as we bring chapter 13 to a close, things are going to very much continue in that vein. So we're, today's passage, we're going to get a parable from Jesus that explains what it looks like when a person understands the kingdom of God. And then we're going to get a story from Matthew, the author, about what it looks like when people don't understand the kingdom of God. So let's dive in, see what we can learn together. Starting in verse 51, here's what it says. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked this question, speaking mainly to his disciples. Have you understood all of these things? Yes, they replied. So I want you to remember real quickly, throughout chapter 13, Jesus has told quite a few parables, right? And at least a bulk of them were told to the crowd as a whole. So anybody and everybody, people that followed him and people that didn't, he told them to large crowds on a hillside or at someone's house or something like that. Now, you and I, the readers of Matthew today, we are fortunate in that Matthew, the author, has sort of woven in for us these explanations for the parables that Jesus gave to the disciples later. But those didn't happen for the people standing there. For most people that showed up to hear Jesus speak at this time, they didn't get the explanations that you and I have in chapter 13. So they just showed up to hear this guy speak. Jesus got up in front of them and just told some random story about soil or seeds or bread or fish, and then he just said, the end, and walked off. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, right? That was how Jesus told them. He didn't explain the parables to the overwhelming majority of people who heard them. And so those people were just left going, uh, okay, sure, yeah, that was an interesting story about seeds and bread. I don't, I don't know how that applies to me or what that means about the kingdom of God in our midst, but that's an interesting story, I guess. 
it was incredibly confusing to at least a whole lot of people that heard it. That was kind of what the parables did in people. And I think because that was the tendency, Jesus at this point wants to make sure that at least his disciples do understand what he was talking about through the parables. So he turns at this point and asks just then, he says, have you understood these things? Do you understand what I'm talking about? To which their answer is what from the passage? Yes. They say, yes, Jesus, we have understood everything that you're talking about. We get what these parables are about. Mostly because you explained all of them to us in detail when we didn't understand. But yes, we understand what the parables were about. So then Jesus does what we probably all should have seen coming at this point. He tells another parable. This parable is apparently about the disciples' ability to understand parables. It's very meta in that sense. So here's the parable he tells, verse 52. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's the parable. Okay, so before we attempt to unpack what that parable means, I need to give you all a disclaimer about it. The disclaimer is that in studying on this passage for the past month or so in preparation to teach this week, I consulted a total of eight commentaries on Matthew and the parables of Jesus. And that's not like a st statement about how smart I am or how many leather-bound books I have at all. It's actually a statement about how confused I was by this parable, okay? So I consulted eight different commentaries. And in the eight that I looked at, there was basically zero consensus on what Jesus meant by this parable. So we got our work cut out for us this morning. Some of them stated confidently one thing that they thought it meant, and then another commentary would then go, yeah, there's no way, that's obviously wrong. And then some of them just stated like five different possible explanations, and were like, we're pretty sure Jesus meant one of these five things. So... I am not going to stand up here today and pretend to be able to do something that at least eight people with more Bible degrees than I have were not able to do. I just feel like that's a safe, I don't want to overestimate my abilities this morning. I'm sorry if you were expecting someone smarter or more confident, but that's not me. So that's not what we're doing this morning. But here's what I am going to do for you this morning. I'm going to give you what I think is the best explanation for what Jesus meant by this parable. And even if this isn't what Jesus meant by this parable, uh, it is nonetheless a true idea taught elsewhere in the scriptures. Does that make sense? So worst case scenario, you walk out of here this morning having learned or remembered a true thing from the Bible, just not a true thing from this particular passage. I feel like if I'm going to miss, that's the direction to miss in and not like in the direction of heresy. Is that okay with you guys? I figure that's a safe way to guess. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's dive in, see what we can figure out about this parable. So in his parable, he talks about a, quote, teacher of the law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom. Now, we've encountered several people in Matthew already who were called teachers of the law. Generally, you find them alongside the Pharisees. They were sort of these well-educated experts in the Old Testament law. Studying the Old Testament law was their profession. It's what they did for a living. But because Jesus tells this parable to his disciples, and because there doesn't seem to be any of those teachers of the law nearby when he talks about it, 
we think that here Jesus could be using the term teachers of the law in a more generic sense, in a more broad sense, that he could simply be referring to men and women who were very familiar with the Old Testament in general, which because all of his immediate disciples were Jewish in their ethnicity, that would likely refer to all of them in that sense. They had all grown up being taught the Old Testament law, being familiarized with it, and then teaching it to others. So in a more informal sense, they were all teachers of the law who had become disciples in the kingdom. Does that all make sense so far? I feel like I'm teaching a little mini seminary class up here, which I'm not qualified for. So I just want to make sure everybody's with me at this moment. But then Jesus says that every person like that, every person in that category is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So what does he mean by that? Well, from the way Jesus tells this parable, it would appear that the old treasures are the things that a teacher of the law is familiar with. So the things detailed in what you and I call the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, the wisdom books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, those would be considered old treasures. And the new treasures could refer to the things that a disciple in the kingdom would be familiarized with, the things detailed and expounded on in what you and I call the new Testament. Jesus says that when you're a teacher of the law turned disciple, you're familiar with both old and new. You're like the owner of a house who brings out new treasures as well as old. Does that all make sense? Is everybody following with me on that? So in summary, we might put it like this. Understanding the kingdom looks like first learning from all the scriptures. Learning from all of the scriptures. New Testament and Old. So sometimes people tend to think, both inside and outside the church, that the Old Testament and the New Testament are kind of different worlds from one another. That they're entirely different, that they have very little to do with each other, they paint very different pictures of God. So some people think that you have the Old Testament, which is kind of about rules and regulations, and God seems really angry and impatient with people, and and that's the Old Testament. And then you have Jesus in the New Testament where Jesus kind of showed up and like helped with God's PR situation. I think a lot of people think that way, whether they'd state it that way or not, about the Old and New Testament. So some people think that they're very different worlds. Or worse, some people think that because we now have the New Testament, we don't even really need the Old Testament anymore as followers of Jesus, that it's sort of the the outdated version that doesn't have all that much relevance to us today, to the point that you can literally go out and buy New Testament Bibles, Bibles that don't even have the Old Testament in them, because it's just assumed that we don't really need that part anyway. Now, I want you to contrast that approach with places like Matthew chapter 5. We covered this back last August when we taught this passage. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. We'll put it up on the screen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, or what you and I refer to as the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's about as strongly as you could put that, right? Did you hear all the qualifiers that Jesus made? Therefore, he says, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments 
Anyone who ignores them or overlooks them or pretends that they aren't relevant anymore and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So suffice it to say, Jesus does not feel as if the old things in the Bible are irrelevant. Not in the least. Quite the contrary, in fact. He says that those things actually point us to and lead us to the new things that we read in the scriptures. He actually thinks that the old and the new work in tandem with one another. The things in the New Testament help us understand what the Old Testament was pointing towards, and the things in the Old Testament help us understand the things that the New Testament fulfills. There's a symbiotic relationship between them. So it's not that one nullifies the other, they shed light on and inform one another. That's the relationship between them. So practically speaking, this is why here at City Church, we want to learn from both the Old Testament and the New. The first book of the Bible that we ever studied together here on Sundays was the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. One of the first teaching series that we ever did was on Old Testament narratives and how they point to the realities of who Jesus is. The plan this year leading up to Christmas is to spend some time in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah and glean from it and see how it points to the arrival of Jesus on the scene. It is massively important to us at City Church that we not only spend our time exploring new treasures, but also old. It is important to us to learn from and read from all of the scriptures. Now, that said, I know that a lot of the Bible, and especially a lot of the Old Testament, can be difficult for us to understand at times. That's just the reality. It was written in a very different culture, a very different time, all of that. Just like if people back then were to read about some of the things that we do and we value today, they would also think it was very strange and hard to understand. So if you need some help getting started with specifically reading the Old Testament, specifically reading parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, let me give you a very practical, very tangible next step to take. Out in the lobby, on your way out, that big table right in the middle of the lobby, there are some Bible reading plan booklets that we put together for a series a couple years ago. We still have lots of them left over. You can take them. They're totally free to you. We would love for you to have one. They technically run January to December, but you are more than welcome to just cross those dates out and just start it on August 1st or August 2nd or whatever you need to do. But in them, you will find a reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament each day. And each time you start a new book of the Bible, there is a short seven-ish minute animated video from a place called The Bible Project that gives you some really helpful background on the book you're about to read. They essentially give you like a visual commentary on the book so that you kind of know how all the different pieces that you read will eventually fit in. It helps so much with understanding what you're about to read. Not saying there won't be confusing parts still, I'm just saying you'll know how they fit into the overall narrative of the book. And if you do that, if, if you take a year or however long it takes you to work through something like that, I can guarantee you that you will come out the other side incredibly well-versed in both the Old Testament and the new. You will be like the owner of a house, in Jesus' words, who brings out of his house old treasures as well as new. Does that make sense? When we understand the kingdom of Jesus, we grasp the importance of learning from and knowing all of the scriptures. That is one sign that a person has understood the kingdom. 
Now, the second one is also in that parable. The second sign that you've understood the kingdom is in that same parable, but you may have missed it as we read through it. It's pretty small, but I think it's significant. Notice that Jesus didn't just say that a person like that has old and new treasures. He said they what? They bring them out. It says they, they have the new and old treasures and they bring them out. Now, the assumption there is that that person is bringing them out for others to see and experience and enjoy alongside of them. So we might put it this way. The second sign of understanding the kingdom is teaching others what you've been taught. Teaching others what you've been taught. So throughout his life and ministry... Jesus was never just teaching his disciples things so that they could grow smarter and wiser and more mature. He was teaching them things also for them to in turn turn around and teach others so they could bring their treasures, so to speak, out of the storeroom for the sake of others. This is so difficult for us to remember, especially in a knowledge-based culture like ours, in a very individualistic culture like ours, but it is so very important for us to remember, as a follower of Jesus, the point is never just to know things for the sake of knowing them. I'm going to say that again because some of us might need to write it down. The point, when it comes to following Jesus, the point is never just to know things about the Bible for the sake of knowing them. The point is always to put into practice what we know and quite often, the point is to teach what we know to others. You following that? So we actually saw this just now in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said that the person who is, quote, greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the person who knows the scriptures. Is that what he said? He said the person who practices and teaches the scriptures. That's what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, who cares how much you know unless you've also practiced it and taught others what you know? That's the value system in the kingdom of Jesus. So, practically speaking, when you sit down with the scriptures in the morning or the afternoon or whenever you happen to do that, when you sit down with the scriptures, the temptation is to mainly read it for you, right? So God, what do you have in these pages for me? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to grow in? What do you want to teach me or tell me? And hear me, that's vitally important. You can't skip that step, to be sure. But I do want to suggest that you also accompany that with another question. And that's the question, God, what do you have in here for others? What do you have in here for others? What do you have in these pages that would be helpful to someone in our church family, to someone in my biological family, to someone in my life group, to someone in my workplace who's going through something right now, to someone I'm friends with who's going through something right now? What do you have in these pages that I'm about to read that you might want me to tell them or speak to them or proclaim to them? All of us have likely had the experience where we read something in the Bible and we think to ourselves, yeah, I don't really feel like that applies to me right now. Like that's true, that's helpful, that's valuable, that's great that I read that, but I just don't feel like it exactly applies to where I'm at right now. It's not what I needed in this exact moment. And listen, sometimes that might be true. It might be because what we read wasn't for us, it was for somebody else. It was for somebody else that we're in relationship 
with. And God wants to use us, you and I, to deliver it because we've seen it. I think it's also really important that we do this when it comes to hearing, teaching from the Bible in settings like the one we're in right now. So the temptation for us often when we hear teaching from the Bible is to also receive it through the lens of whether or not it was relevant to us, the individual, right? So we'll say things like, well, that teaching was really helpful to me, or it really convicted me, or it was really relevant to me. Or inversely, we'll say, well, that teaching didn't really apply to me. I didn't feel like that was especially helpful to where I was at. It didn't really seem relevant to my life. But I want you to see that that's not the only way to evaluate and receive teaching from the scriptures. A friend of mine, a while back, got to travel to Kenya for a mission trip. And while he was there, he got to sit in on a number of different church services for different communities there. And in one of them, they were teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible. And the sermon, the week that they were on specifically, was the part of 1 Corinthians that talks largely to single people. It talks about singleness. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6 or 7. And this particular sermon was all about singleness. Now, the interesting thing was he knew, my friend knew that in this particular community, literally everyone who was old enough to be married was married. So the whole crowd was made up of married people. And yet when he scanned around the room, every single married person there was just furiously scribbling down notes. They were saying amen. They were leaning forward. They were engaged in the teaching. And he thought that was so strange. So after the church service was over, he asked his host family, he said, hey, I know that everybody's here married. That sermon was on singleness. Help me out. Like, what was happening there? And his host family said, well, here in Kenya, we don't hear teaching from the Bible primarily in terms of how it benefits us. We first listen for how it might be helpful to others, how it might be helpful to our neighbor, how it might be helpful to somebody we know that wasn't there that particular week. They hear the teaching from the scriptures in that way. Their belief was that the scriptures are not just taught for their individual benefit, but so that they could in turn benefit others with what they learned. So I'll just ask you, what if God has us listening to teaching sometimes, not just for our benefit, but for others? What if God has you hearing a teaching about suffering, not because you are currently suffering and need it, but because a friend or a family member is or is about to? What if God has you hearing a teaching on decision-making, not because you're currently making a big decision and you need it, but because someone in your life is or is about to? What if God has you hearing a teaching on how to read the Bible, not because you need help learning how to read the Bible, but because you might need additional tools to help other people in your life learn how to read the Bible? It's so easy for us to forget that aspect of teaching from the scriptures, but I think it's vitally important to what it means to follow Jesus. So participation in the kingdom of God is just as much about what we impart to others from God as it is about what was imparted to us from God. So who are you imparting things to? Like right now on a typical week, who are you imparting things to? that you've learned. When you read the scriptures or hear teaching from the scriptures, what might it look like to add things new and old to your storeroom so that you can seize opportunities to take that treasure out and share it with other people who need it? That, I think, is what Jesus is getting at in this parable as well. Okay, 
So we just got two signs of understanding the kingdom. Now chapter 13 is going to wrap up about a story with people who don't understand. What does it look like to not understand the kingdom? Pick it up with me in verse 53. This part will be a little bit quicker. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Verse 54, coming to his hometown, which is a place called Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. Now, real quickly, what a great place to teach if you want more teachers of the law to become disciples in the kingdom, right? The synagogue. That's where you find people who are teachers of the law, both in the formal sense and in the informal sense. Jesus goes to the synagogue to teach. Continuing on, it says, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So Jesus returns to Nazareth, where he grew up. He's teaching and preaching in the synagogues there. But as he does, he starts to encounter a very interesting resistance, I think. People start asking questions like, wait, isn't, isn't this Mary's son? Like, didn't, didn't this Jesus guy grow up here with us in our town? Don't we know his brothers and his sisters Still, where did he get all of this wisdom and these miraculous powers? This is Jesus that we know that grew up here. And if you think about it, this response from the people of Nazareth, I think actually makes a lot of sense. Have you ever had the experience where someone that you grew up with all of a sudden became a very big deal? So let's say this, there was this guy named Timmy in your hometown. They're always named Timmy, right? There's Timmy in your hometown. And all of a sudden, you see on Facebook or, or you hear from your parents maybe that Timmy is like started a business and now he's a millionaire. Or like he got drafted by a pro-level baseball team. Or he all of a sudden is like a Hollywood producer producing all kinds of amazing films. And, and usually that leads to this response in us, or at least for me, like, Timmy? Really? Like, isn't it always the most random people that it happens to? That's been my experience, where it's like, wow, Timmy that grew up here? Like, awkward, never talked to anybody? Timmy? Like, he's a Hollywood producer? Okay, I guess, whatever. I mean, to each their own, you know? That usually is how it works, at least for a lot of people. But in Jesus's case, I think that's the response that a lot of people have to him. They, they see Jesus casting out demons or performing all kinds of miracles, and they're going, really? Jesus from here? Like Mary's son, James's brother, that Jesus? But in Jesus' case, the passage says, that experience actually leads to some opposition. It says in verse 57 that because of all of their familiarity with Jesus, they took offense at him. We've talked about that phrase, took offense, before in the Gospel of Matthew. Been around for a few months, you remember us talking about it. It literally means to stumble or to trip on something. The people of Nazareth are so incredulous at this idea that Jesus, from their hometown, does miracles and displays such wisdom that it actually causes them to stumble. 
It causes them to disbelieve in the reality of who he is. In other words, the people of Nazareth had just enough familiarity with Jesus to prevent them from seeing him for who he truly was. And I've got to think that in that way, some of us might have something in common with the people of Nazareth. After all, we're in Knoxville, Tennessee, where there is almost literally a church on every corner. Some corners have two churches, right? There's churches everywhere. Furthermore, a lot of us in the room grew up in and around church all of the time. If you're like me, your parents had you in church every time the doors were open, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was something else, you were there, right? Like you were just there. That's where you lived, basically. You were there as much as you were at your house. If you asked a lot of us in this room, and particularly in Knoxville, Tennessee, especially in this region of the country, if you asked any of us about Jesus, we could tell you all of the stories, We could tell you about how he was born in a manger, how he's the son of God, how he taught people to love each other. We could tell you that he went to the cross to die for our sin and to forgive us of our sin. And if you accept that, you'll live forever with him. Many people in our area and likely many of us in this room have a high degree of familiarity with Jesus. But here's the thing. Familiarity with Jesus isn't what saves you. The Pharisees were as familiar as a person could be with the God of the Bible, and they were often as far as that you could be from the heart of the God of the Bible. The people of Nazareth were familiar with Jesus and at the same time had absolutely no clue who he was. Jesus even says at one point earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, he says that one day people will say to him, Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Jesus, didn't we identify ourselves with you and who you are in nearly everything that we said and did? And Jesus says he will say to those people, yeah, but I never knew you. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Familiarity is not what saves you. Familiarity with God does not always indicate a relationship with God. And sometimes familiarity can be a downright dangerous thing. It can convince us that we don't need to know anymore. We don't need to study any further. We don't need to wrestle any harder with the things of God because we're good. And it can convince us that we know who Jesus is when in reality, like the people of Nazareth, we haven't even scratched the surface. So I think the question, the practical question for us in light of all of these things is how do we avoid that experience? How do we avoid familiarity being a hindrance to truly knowing and loving Jesus for who he is? How do we avoid the mistake that Nazareth made in how they perceived Jesus? The answer that we get to that question in the scriptures, I think, is very simple and at the same time very hard to implement. We actually mentioned it in our very first teaching in Matthew chapter 13. We said then that this word understand that Jesus uses a lot around the parables, the word understand in the Bible doesn't just mean to intellectually comprehend a concept. It means to hear something, to become in agreement with it, and then to put it together into action. That's what the word understand means in the New Testament. To use Jesus' language from Matthew chapter 5, it is to hear something and put it into practice. 
That's what it means to understand what Jesus is talking about. So the answer, the way that we avoid familiarity, inoculating us against discovering who Jesus truly is, is that we hear and then we respond to what we've heard. That's how we do it. That's how we protect against that. James chapter 1 puts it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James says that when all we do is hear the teaching from the scriptures, we actually run the risk of deceiving ourselves. There's something about hearing things from the Bible without actually responding to them that actually can make us believe things about ourselves that are not true. We start to believe that we're good with Jesus simply because we know things about him. We start to think that we are faithfully following him because we can regurgitate true statements about him from the Bible. Jesus said, or James, I'm sorry, says, whatever you do, do not fall into that trap. Do not fall into the trap that knowing things about Jesus and knowing things about God and knowing things about the scripture is the same thing as following Jesus. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that hearing things from the Bible is the same as doing what the Bible says. Instead, James says, do what it says. The way to ensure that you aren't just familiar with Jesus, but that you actually know him, is to listen and then respond. To hear and then put into practice what you've heard. So just to give you a few examples... When you feel the Spirit, for instance, pressing on you that the way you save and spend your money isn't consistent with the teachings of the Scriptures on money, you don't just continue offering empty platitudes to your friends like, generosity is really important to me and it's all God's anyway. You respond by confessing that your life is not consistent with the Scriptures and letting Jesus change the way you spend your money and save your money. When you feel the spirit pressing on you that the relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not healthy and maybe doesn't reflect what the scriptures teach us about sex or sexuality, you don't just say, yeah, I know it's wrong, but we really love each other and I'm sure Jesus will understand. And continue about your way. You go, Jesus is king He's in charge of the kingdom of heaven, which means if he says this is wrong in the kingdom of heaven, it's wrong. So I'm going to confess that. I'm going to break off the relationship. I'm going to be done with it, and I'm going to do things his way because that's what he is worth. When you feel the Spirit impressing upon you that your relationship with alcohol is not healthy, that more often than not you're drinking more than you need to, you're getting carried away, you don't just say in those moments, oh, it was just an accident. Or, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I just got a little buzzed. You say, I belong to Jesus' kingdom. I'm called to represent him, and so I'm going to repent of this, and I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to respond with obedience. Does that make sense? This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be transformed into the image of Jesus. The scriptures are far too helpful to just be familiar with. Jesus is too good to just be familiar with. He is worth knowing and following with everything in us. 
He is worth hearing and also responding to. And listen, when you respond to Jesus, what you encounter is the grace and mercy and compassion of God. You encounter the Jesus who poured out his life and gave up his last breath to call people into his kingdom and rescue them out of their sin. You encounter the one who wants to make you more and more into his image and into who you were made to be all along. And let me tell you, there's no better way to live. So here's where we'll land. There is something in you this morning that that you just know you need to do something about. There's something this morning you know you need to respond to Jesus on, an area of your life that is not yet right, a part of your heart that is not yet his. Can I just encourage you to do something about that? Can I encourage you to not allow familiarity with Jesus to get in the way of true relational intimacy with Jesus? Can I encourage you to to know him, to know Jesus, to know who he is, not just with your mind or your intellect or from stories that you've heard, but to know him with your heart and with your spirit and with your life. To understand, which means to hear and then to respond. So I don't know exactly what it is this morning, but I would bet there is one thing for at least a lot of us in the room, one thing that we could press in on, that we could respond to the Spirit in and allow His grace and His light and His truth to do something in us beginning today. So I'm just gonna ask the band to play quietly for a bit. I'm gonna give you some space. We're gonna turn the lights down for a second, just give you some space to reflect on what that is exactly. What area of your life do you need to hear God on? We've been in this series about responses to the kingdom, but I don't wanna end it without giving us just one more chance to ask what do we need to respond to the kingdom about? To just, maybe just for a second, just bow your head, close your eyes, and just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it that I need to listen and respond to? What is it that I need to work on? Where is it that I need to let your grace and your truth break into my life in a substantial way? I'll give you guys just a few moments. So I'm going to give you just another moment or two, but just wanted to mention one thing. Um, I feel like maybe uh, there could be somebody, maybe multiple people in the room right now that um, maybe you felt in you a desire to give whatever it is over to Jesus. Maybe you felt this leaning in you to, to explore what it looks like to follow Jesus for the first time, but maybe the 
the, the thing that I'm feeling, the thing that I'm hearing right now is that maybe you're just scared, you, you're nervous. Uh, maybe you feel like everything in your life is built around kind of this alternative kingdom to the kingdom of Jesus and you just feel like, man, that would mean reorienting everything about how I approach life and everything about the way I approach relationships and finances and sexuality and whatever else it may be. And I feel like maybe the Spirit wants to say to you a, a couple things. One, it, it's worth it. But more importantly, and, and, and maybe more practically even, is that there are people in this room who follow Jesus, have also walked out of very similar places in life, and would love nothing more than to walk alongside you every step of the way. So if that's you, I, I just want you to hear that. Maybe that's for you, maybe it's not. Just if you're scared, if you're nervous about what it looks like to follow Jesus, I just wanna ask that maybe you'd consider those two things, that the kingdom of Jesus is ultimately worth it, is infinitely worth it, and that there are people who are willing to walk alongside you along the way. So maybe that's for you. I'll give you just another couple moments. Father, thank you who you are, for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, thank you that you are so worth it. Thank you that your kingdom is so worth it. And God, our prayer is that uh, this morning we wouldn't hold anything back. God, our prayer is that we wouldn't set up walls that dictate what parts of our lives you're allowed to break into and which ones you aren't. But God, that we would let your grace, your light, your truth, the relationship with you that is possible through Jesus, that you would, that you would infiltrate every single part of our lives with that. God, that we would understand, that we would hear, and that we would respond, that we would listen, and we would put into practice, and even that we would teach others what we have grown in and what we've learned. God, we want to ask that you would just allow your spirit to infiltrate. You would allow him to convict and expose and guide and help and empower every step of the way. God, we ask now in our church and the lives of individuals in this room for your spirit to come, for him to speak, for him to be present and for him to be made known, for him to make the good news of the gospel known through us and how we live. God, we ask this in your name, for your glory, 